Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. Hey, do you want to talk about that episode of that show that was just like the game uh, mechanics that I was telling you about that one time? Yes. Oh, my gosh. So cool. Cue music. Welcome to another fine episode of Pandas Talking Games. I'm one of your hosts, Phil. And I am your other host, Senda. And for today's episode, we um, got an email from Jim who said, Hey, Senda and Phil, there was a quick sidebar in the Failing Forward episode about engaging with media. If you um, Like if you're watching a movie, you can think about how you'd handle it if the characters failed a check. What escape hatch would you use that would allow them to fail forward? When I was learning to GM the cipher system, one of the things I tried to do was play Spot the Intrusion. When you're watching a movie or show, there are all sorts of cool things that happen that make the characters' lives more interesting, and after a while, you start getting a sense of what makes a good intrusion. It helps you avoid the trap of making every intrusion somehow screw your players over. These two examples make me wonder if there's a show topic floating around out there on how to use media to practice your GM skills. If you wanted to try and tackle that, I think that would be so cool. You bet we want to tackle that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's really funny. Um, this topic is a thing I think a whole lot of us do. Yeah. Right? I think a whole lot of us do it, but I don't think we've ever talked about it as a uh, show topic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not explicitly and individually, although I know that we've mentioned it like over and over and over again, right? In all sorts of different shows. I couldn't even begin to pinpoint which ones, but I know it's a thing that we've said a lot and recommended a lot and talked about doing a lot. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes you're not even trying to play the how would I interpret this as a game with this media thing. Sometimes you're literally just watching media and then you're like, wow, that was absolutely a GM intrusion. Or like, wow, that player just did not want to pick up those dice to let a thing happen, right? Like, sometimes the ways that um, we interpret media are colored by our understanding of game mechanics. And then it's it's hard to separate those things, even like, <laughs> even if you're not doing it intentionally. Yeah, I mean, sometimes we just, you know, talk about, I know, like, among my groups, um, especially because we're pretty well versed in fate, a lot of times we'll be watching a TV show or a movie together, and somebody will mention like, oh, that's, that's that person's trouble aspect. Right? Yeah. Right? Like, like oh. oh, they just got to compel. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Like, so yeah, so so it's an awesome topic. Um, I don't think it's ever been a thing. I know it's a thing I have never, in all of my GMing advice, discussed as a like tool for uh, working on your GMing skills. Jim brings this up, and as soon as I read it, I was like, yes, we will definitely talk about this. <laughs> um, so that's what we're going to do. So today, we're going to talk about using different media, and we're actually going to get a little more granular than media. Media is kind of a broad brushstroke, Very broad. but yeah. since we are into definitions, we'll actually give you the better definition. But for right now, we're going to talk about using media as a way to practice your GMing skills, and we'll talk about how it can help sharpen your GMing skills, as well as some pitfalls um, that you need to avoid when you're comparing other media to role-playing games. Yes, because they're not the same. Not exactly. Right. As similar as they are. 
Anyway, hit us with some definitions. Yeah, we're going to have to build our way into this topic, right? We've done this before with a bunch of definitions, so let's just start. Media, the main means of mass communication, things like broadcasting, publishing, the internet, right? Regarded collectively, right? So like we, you know, TV is something that many people get, and internet, right? Books, things like that. That's media, right? How we carry things. Um, a performance, is the act of staging or presenting a play, concert, or other form of entertainment. That should be pretty, uh, uh, what you call it? This should be pretty self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. Um, performance implies that people are doing a thing, right? Yeah. Like you are, somebody is performing. That yes. could be live. That could be recorded. It could be video. It could be audio. Yeah. Both. Okay. Story, an account of imaginary or real people and events told for entertainment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so based on those, Senda, what's a TV show? Yeah, so th- this is, and this is why we had to get granular with the definitions, right? So a TV show is then a story and a per- performance that is distributed via some form of media, mm-hmm. like a streaming service or you know broadcast television or whatever it is, right? Yep. Yeah. H- how about a book? A book is just a story that is again distributed in a form of media this time as like a, uh, a physical media, a paperback, a uh, hardcover, or potentially ebook, right? It's on your Kindle, whatever it is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's build into what is a role-playing game. Yeah. <laughs> so a role-playing game is a couple different things, right? The rules are a book, Um, or information distributed on some form of media, but they are not a story, most of the time. Um, An RPG session is a story and a performance that is not on media. For most people, we have to say, I myself, having done actual play, um, have spent a lot of time thinking about and discussing actually the difference of when your RPG session becomes a story and a performance and is distributed via media. Um, so that's definitely a thing, right? But if this, if we're talking about your home game and you're not streaming it or recording it or any of that kind of stuff, the, the standard way that most of us are playing most of the time, we are talking about a story and a performance without media distribution. Yeah. Okay. So from all of that, are the parallels and, and you know, if we're breaking this apart, right, it's not exactly, it's not media that we're looking at. What we really want to look at is stories and performances, mm-hmm. right? Our yeah. RPG sessions, like Senda said, is a form of story and therefore have structural parallels with other stories that are distributed on other media, right? So TV, a movie, a comic book, a book, whatever. Um and it's these parallels that let us use things in role-playing advice, such as Free Talks Pyramid, right? Because Free Talks Pyramid is absolutely what you learn in eighth grade English to talk about structure, story structures of novels. Yeah, I mean, well, we can get back to, I didn't learn Free Talks Pyramid. I learned a different one, but it's the same thing with different words. So when you yeah. learn about Western plot structure, exactly. you hear something like this, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And those are and and most of that work, like especially free tax pyramid, is based out of literature, right? Yes. But we, yeah, yeah. but when we compare it, to, like, but because literature is a story, and because RPG sessions are a story, we actually can um, borrow free tax pyramid, use it in role playing advice, uh, and it mostly works. 
right? I'm going to yeah. just use the asterisk mostly because we'll mostly. talk about some. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, it is also how we can pick up tropes from other games. Like if we're playing cartel, we can look at tropes in narco fiction, right? Yeah. So we can go watch cartel. The um, we, I'm sorry. We can go watch narcos. Mm-hmm. The, the TV show on Netflix, uh, and actually pick up a lot of genre uh, similarities. Like we can borrow tropes, we can pick up um, the way things are described, the way things look, things like that, and make it apply to our cartel game. Yeah. Yeah. And to be clear, specifically, cartel takes place in Mexico, so your best parallel is actually Narcos Mexico. Uh, the first yeah. series, Narcos, was in Colombia, and we are not painting broad strokes um, by saying all South American, Central American, South American things are the same. That's not true. If you were playing cartel, your best parallel is Narcos Mexico. Yeah. Cool. Good. Okay. Clarity. Cool. Just, I just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and just jumping in there to get more specific. I, just, yep. I didn't want to be, I mean, I think we were making our point, but sometimes when we make points, we brush them like with a wide brush. And yeah. eh, there's a case where we could be a little more specific. Yes. Good. Cool. Um, so there are similarities, and then there are also differences, of course, um, between the type of stories we consume in other media and the type of stories we create collaboratively as RPGs. Um, one of those differences is that RPGs are collaborative. And the other difference that's, like, I mean, there are more differences, but the other big difference is that um, there are also moments of randomization in RPGs, right? Which is a key part of how and why we play them because we engage with them to see what happens um, together, right? Um, And this is why um, a lot of times RPGs don't quite line up exactly the same way as other stories. Firstly, there's no single like unified um, story direction because we have multiple people doing input to the story. And secondly, because there is randomization along the way, right? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes a thing that in a story, like in a story that's in a book, or in a TV show would just work, uh, yeah. fails. Doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and the best example of this, right? If you if if you've never seen it, is um, the gamers, right? That um, that first little video they did. Um, I think you can find it on YouTube, right? It plays on all of the ways that role playing games uh, don't line up like movies and tv shows right it plays on all of those little um those little tropes and makes fun of them but it it makes a point that while a story in literature and a story in a role-playing game are both stories they don't it's not always it's not one for one yeah it is a it's a different experience yeah and it's because of that um that when we analyze other media and I don't have this in the notes, but I want to make this point because we did say pitfalls. Mm-hmm. When we analyze other media, the trap that we can fall into is thinking that if it works in a story, it will absolutely work in a role-playing game. And that's not true, right? You have to take into the uh, account what you had said, which is uh, there is a group of people collaboratively playing the game, hopefully collaboratively playing, right? Yep. <laughs> this this breaks down even further if they are not collaboratively playing, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and randomization, right? These two features mean that while you can lift something out of other media, you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt or you have to look at it in terms of will this work with multiple people and will this work with randomization? 
Right. Does yeah. does this outcome or this storyline or the way that I think this plot should go hinge on a series of dice rolls all landing just the right way? Yeah. Um, unlikely to happen. Right? Exactly. And, yeah. and probably not fun if it did. Probably not fun if it did. And then on top of that also hinges on my players making the decisions that lead to these dice rolls, which is where you get into like, this is multiple people with multiple thought processes um, collaboratively making a story. And is honestly, I think at least for me is part of the, the appeal. I mean, this is, you know, a feature, not a bug, right? Yeah, um, this is part of the appeal of role-playing games. I don't know what's going to happen when I sit down at the table. We are all on board with the same genre. And so we're all taking actions in genre, but I love it. When everybody surprises me with what they do, or sometimes when I realize what's coming just before it happens, and I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to play to that trope, and then we do, right? Like, all of those things are great. So anyway, yes, but they are different because of those things. So to wrap that up, the rest of the show, we're going to kind of, we're going to talk about how to do this thing about looking at media and kind of practice your GM skills. But I just want you to take in, like, the point we wanted to make here was, uh, it's it's rarely one-to-one. And you should just like, you know, we're doing this as kind of, we'll talk about it in a minute as a thought experiment kind of thing and lift out what you want from other media. But just know that like sometimes you have to account for um, the differences when you transport it from from the um, when you transport those things from one story type to another. Yeah, inevitably. Keep us going now. Yeah. So let's get back to Jim's question, um, which is specifically how to use the consumption of media um, to improve your GMing and or player skills. I threw the end player part in because players can I, do this too. Because why not, right? Because as players, it's still fun to engage in the mechanical stuff and be like, oh, he decided that and he rolled, you know, X, Y, Z and that's why that happened or like whatever. How would I react in my character? I don't know. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm with you. I liked it. Cool. <laughs> All right. So Again, we've all probably done this, but we'll talk about the steps that, like, I did this from my own head, and I think this yeah. lined up with you when, you you know, we did pre-show. Yeah, um, yeah. Here's a little methodology for how to do this activity, right? So, one, pick something fun to watch. Uh, pick something that might be reminiscent of um, what you are playing or doing, right? Like, for me, and like, you know, my Ox game right now, like, uh, when I was uh, battling COVID, um two weeks ago uh, i watched a bunch of scorpions right which is a show that is loosely like loosely inspired ox okay so pick your thing right it's a story it's a tv show it's a comic book whatever okay now start consuming it mm-hmm. and imagine that it's not the media that you're watching a game right and that the gm is a combination of the writer and director Right. So Mm -hmm. they're laying down script and they're also framing shots and things like that, because in a traditional GM based game, those are usually the roles that the GM has Um, that will differ depending on your game. But we're not going to we're not really splitting hairs on this. Yeah, absolutely. Then what? So, So then the PCs are the main characters, right? Yeah. And then that means everyone else is an NPC. Absolutely. So now you're only considering your main characters have their own free will and everyone else is now being run by the GM. In your book, right? Um, Cool. And then uh, you might be considering what rule set you're thinking about 
as yeah, I think you, I think you should like if you're doing this experiment, you should pick a rule set. Yeah, it would be. I think it would be, and I don't usually because usually one pops out of me. I'm not usually jumping between different rule sets when yeah. I'm doing this. I'm usually like, oh, this makes sense for this, and then I'm like, and then I start seeing more and more ways that make sense, right? Absolutely. And if you're doing this to actually polish your own skills, then pick the rule set of the game you're currently running. Or yeah, absolutely. Run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. To use it like that. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So. While doing this thought experiment, you can see how the story that you're consuming addresses various elements like success and failure, um, and then how certain things will look like game mechanics, like intrusions, like compels from fate, like hard move from Powered by the Apocalypse, etc. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Now, <laughs> we, have a, we have a couple of things. We're going to ping pong through this list of things that you can look at directly. All right. So would you like to uh, would you like to get us started? Yes, I absolutely would. So basically, as you're sitting there thinking about game mechanics and watching or reading or consuming, you know, whatever the thing is, um, look at how the writer slash director in our case, GM, um, is handling things um, in in terms of how they're keeping the story moving. Um, and like what game mechanics they're using. So as you hit various points, how are they keeping things moving forward? How are they cutting it, right? Like how fast are they moving? When are they slowing down? Um, how are they breathe, letting the scenes breathe or cutting them short when they don't need to be long? Um, that kind of stuff. So pacing. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think that's great. I think in addition to that, things like um, foreshadowing. Oh, yeah. I right? love foreshadowing. So yeah, exactly. Much. Like watch how movies <laughs> do foreshadowing so that um so that you can incorporate that, like figure out like how you can learn that technique, learn how they like slip it in, you know, here and then they call it back. Callbacks are another one that's really good, right? Like talk, you know, look at how a G like look at how the director sets something up early, calls it back um mid-story kind of thing. So I'm actually going to say to me um, callbacks and um, uh, are a huge thing that is really helpful to have player help with. So if you're doing this as a player, that's one of the things I would really pay attention to. I'm just totally shoving this in there because one, some of my favorite gaming experiences have been when as a team, we end up doing those callbacks the way that they happen in movies or TV shows, etc. Right? Like, and and one of them is recorded on She's a Super Geek, and it's our masks game that Ange ran. And so, if you want to hear it, like actually as an RPG happen, you should go listen to that. Um, we called it back with different players every time, and it was freaking amazing. And I still remember it. Right? So, um, you know, again, this is player advice too. <laughs> you should do yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, so so you check out those things. Next up, look at how the scenes now that this is going to be like really more for TV, but no, I, I take that back. This will actually work for literature as well. Yes. Look at how scenes are shot or described. Um, mm-hmm. Look how they're d- drawn in comic books, that kind of thing. What are the elements you can incorporate into your descriptions when you are framing out scenes, right? So um, one of those ones that I really love in a, um, you see it, it's done well in tv and the west wing is probably the best example of this is the uh walking conversation yeah right and the west wing has a good habit of doing this as a way of um leading characters into a 
uh, bigger scene is they will have them walking and talking through the hallways and people will pass them and ask them questions or whatever. And then they kind of like arrive in a room with like all this stuff going on that's like kind of different from the conversation. And I love trying to kind of set that up in my game. Uh, I love banter. Like I love when my characters banter in games. So I try to set up things where that kind of bantering can occur. And my players are now really good at it. Like they'll recognize the space that's been created and will kind of get in and start bantering. Yeah. Or if they start spontaneously bantering, uh, I will actually pull back and like not, yeah. like I will not push the next piece of story out. Um, I will just let the banter continue and I'll actually like talk to them like, oh, I can totally see you guys like, you know, on the outside of this revolving space station, like magnetically clamped to the space station as it's rotating around. But you're like talking about, you know, you know, um, Tam's ex-girlfriend. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like, yeah, that kind of thing. (laughs) I I love that, too. It's good. And um, the other thing I think to take away from... um, from like how scenes are shot or described is that you will get very different senses from like the beginning of the Lion King where you are above everything, seeing the whole realm and like, you know, birds fly by and you get this really broad sweeping opening. Then if you are in a room and like the camera pans out from behind a a vase of flowers that's like really close in and like then you start to see more of the room in focus as you get out from behind something right like so there's a lot of very different ways that um the camera angles and the way that we approach scenes are used artistically in visual media that we can translate into our descriptions right yeah in fact um and i do this a lot when i'm gming is i actually use um like i talk about it like a camera oh yeah i'll be like and the camera pans from here to here right yeah 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 and i do that i like i do that on purpose right like i'll be like okay like imagine you know imagine a camera at orbit right and now it's dropping rapidly through the atmosphere as the ground is you know becoming more and more detailed and you know and then like we arrive boom right behind your two characters what happens you yeah, know. I mean, like, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. And and that has feels, and it has some uh, almost assumed audio that goes with it, too, because we've seen that kind of scene so often, right? That, like, we, we are way out in space, and we're hearing old radio-like waves, and then as we get closer, it gets more and more modern, you know. Anyway. Yeah, cool. totally. Cool. Moving right All along. Right. Now I'm excited about your description, which says that it works, right? Cool. All right. So you can also... <laughs> Look at the characters um, themselves and approach them from the perspective of what kind of stats do you think they have based on the game that you are thinking of or feats or aspects or distinctions? What, um, how would you describe these main characters mechanically in the game that you are actually playing? What would you do to create a character who can do what they do and who acts and functions and makes the kind of decisions that they make. Right. Yeah. I mean, just off the top of my head, right. Like one of the, um, uh, like look at Tony Stark from the MCU. Oh yeah. (laughs) Right. So like his trouble aspect is like protect the world. Right. Yeah. Or if I'm going to, if I'm going to quote it right out of the, you know, out of the game, build a suit of armor around the world. Yeah. Right. Right? Because, because so many times throughout the, um, 
the first arc, you know, all like the end game arc or whatever. I forget what they're called. The Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah. Um, so many times Tony um Tony does bad things, which are, if we're in a fate game, are clearly compels yeah. to the that aspect, right? Ultron. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. you know, uh like over and over. He because he is traumatized, right? He is um, he is traumatized from a, from the first Avengers movie, right? His trouble aspect in the first Avengers movie and in the Iron Man movies is that he is like cocky and obnoxious. Yeah, he's but, a billion, billionaire playboy drunkard. Right. And what happens is after Avengers 1, he like trades his trouble aspect out. Yes, he does. Right? For a new trouble aspect. For um, PTSD. Which, <laughs> yeah, which then drives him like for the rest of the story. Yeah. So yeah, so absolutely like analyze characters like just like we're talking about, right? Apply rule systems that um, that match, you know, what you're interested in and look for all those things. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, next one is um, look at pacing. We talked about that before. Look at genre tropes. I consume I consume media all the time for stealing genre tropes, right? Like look at genre tropes, look at the story structures. So um, another thing is like, if you are running, like let's say you're running Star Trek adventures, right? Go watch a bunch of Star Trek because there are a bunch of different story structures and a, and a millions of tropes, tropes, right? (laughs) Um, In fact, I think we had said when we, um, in our future STA game, that one of the things we're going to do is make a list of all of our favorite episode types, right? Mirror yeah. universe, holodeck malfunction, yep. um, you know, um, space alien, not like, not like aliens like, in space, but like the creature lives in space. Yes. Right. Yep. yep. Um, mm-hmm. mysterious, like mysterious, um, anomaly like whatever time travel oh of course right of course of course a time travel episode right yeah but like if you think about it and you look at like if you watch a whole bunch of star trek you will see all of those different story structures and then if you watch multiple star trek series you will see that story structure repeat itself in multiple yes yeah yeah yeah, so and then if you are playing not Star Trek Adventures, but you're playing another type of um, another type of science fiction um, genre, you actually can also pull those tropes and structures and things out of that. Uh, one of the ones that I did when I was looking at um, when I was looking at media as a game is uh, Knights Black Agents is yeah. you know labeled as Jason Bourne fights vampires. And yes. I love those first three Bourne movies like quite a bit. So I, you know, I've seen them so many times, but before I started playing NBA again, I started watching those uh, movies again. Yeah. And one of the things I kind of picked up on was how Bourne enters a city. Most times Bourne enters a city like very like under like cover. And there's always a shot for this, right? Like there's a shot of him coming off of a, you know, ferry and going through customs or whatever. And so when I was writing my first NBA adventure, I was like, oh, I definitely want all my players to arrive in the city separately in different ways, like very subtly, like showing up. And so that's what I told them. And they, you know, they all started narrating 
those things, how one of them came off a train, one of them came off a ferry, one of them got, you know, like one of them was driving in from another country, those kinds of things. And then we liked it so much that every time the players go to a new city, we actually do uh, a description of how they how all arrive separately and then meet together and like get yeah. started. Nice. So yeah, you like, you want to like, just again, look at these stories like they were somebody's sessions and what can you like, what can you borrow? What can you take from it that you could apply to your game? Yeah, absolutely. Um, which I think leads into the last one here, which is looking at specific performances. And this is a little bit back to, um, both the player level in terms of individual characters and then also for GMs from an NPC perspective, right? Listen to voices. What kind of people are here? Look at the style of gestures that are happening. Um, what do things look like, etc. right? Because again, this is giving you fodder for description, but now for people. Um, how can you incorporate all of the tropes of the style of people and interactions and, um, you know, how everyone is kind of working in this world from a genre perspective? How can you take some of those pieces and pull those into your game also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, especially because, and again, this is, so this is a place where they don't line up per- perfectly. Yeah. In a movie or TV show, those um, actors have full range of movement. They have a set. They have props. They have things like that. Often when we play, you are constrained sitting at a table some people get up and move around or whatever, but a lot of us, you know, stay pretty much at the table or maybe just stand up next to it. But you can still look at like somebody's performance, like look at their face, listen to their voice. Can you make that, you know, inflection when they're feeling, you know, like impassioned, that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, also, I think even as a GM, um, using the tropes of the the style of NPCs that go with the style of story you're telling. If I'm running a magical girls game, I can tell you right now that there's probably some non-magical people that are attached to my magical girls who don't know what's going on, right? And there's some tropes for that kind of person. There is probably uh, some sort of adorable creature or stuffed animal that comes to life or, you know, whatever it is. It is some sort of like sidekick slash um, familiar slash like maybe understands a little bit more about the magical part of magical girls than our magical girls do at the beginning of, you know, that idea. Right. And that is um, a character trope that has enough trappings to go with it that at a moment's notice, I can kind of come up with you know, some thoughts about what that might look like, what they might sound like and what they act like. Right. Like Mm -hmm. just because there, (laughs) there are some specific things about that. Um, and that's from consuming a lot of magical girls media. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to do, and we're going to do an example from one of our favorite movies of which some of you youngins might be too young to have seen, but you are shame. You should go watch it. It's so good. Not shame. No no shame. shame. But go Um, watch it. (laughs) But you should go watch it because it has withstood the test of time, um, as far as I can tell. (laughs) Really, hundred percent. I love this movie. I still love this movie. Um, It is Walt Disney's Three Musketeers, not the animated one. No, um, the live action one. Yes, uh, from the late nineties. I think ninety six, but I could be wrong. Sometime in there. Yes. Okay. Good movie. The scene I want to talk about because this is a movie that Send and I both know very well. Mm Hmm. 
is the duel at the ruins. So I'll set it up really quick. Yes. <laughs> D'Artagnan, uh, D'Artagnan having insulted all three of the musketeers separately throughout yes. the day yes. um, is now meeting who he thinks he's meeting uh, Aramis. No. Um, I don't remember which one is first. He thinks he's meeting yeah. one of them first. Yeah, it's and correct. And he has back-to-back duels. Yeah, so yeah. he thinks he's meeting one of them and the all three musketeers show up and, you know, it comes to light that he has a duel with all three of them and they tell him like to back down. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I'm a man of my word. Like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go ahead and like, I will duel, you know, I will duel him and then I'll duel the right, you know, each of you in sequence. Yes. And you um, cannot duel this boy. Why? Because I am. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. (laughs) And while this is going on and it's about to work itself out, right? Like it's about to come to light that, you know, who he is Actually, I think he says his name, right? So it's about to come to light who he is. um, And there's possibly a way he doesn't have to duel, either get killed or kill anyone. And then this this scene is going to, this scene, if, you know, this scene could end fairly smoothly. But before (laughs) any of that can occur, the Cardinal's guards show up to the duel. Uh, One, they are looking for the musketeers. And two, when they find out that they are about to duel, that dueling is also outlawed. It's illegal. Yeah. Right. So they like everybody's in trouble here. And then a fight breaks out and the musketeers face off again, individually face off against the Cardinal's guards. And that ultimately is the mechanism by which D'Artagnan um, kind of earns his way with the rest of the musketeers because he's now like, you know, with them, and then like that, and then from that point on, D'Artagnan's like one of them, not the you know annoying kid that they were going to duel, right? So the part I want to go back to is the arrival of the cardinals' guards. Yes. Okay, because this is a moment. If we're imagining a role playing game, we've got all four characters, right? The musketeers at the table, and you know they have, um, they've, you know, they've met out at the ruins. Um, they're about to duel, and they're having this like little banter and exchange. Um, and probably, if we don't do anything, they'll probably talk for a few minutes, work this out, and keep going. But that's yes. probably not the most interesting thing that could happen. Probably right? not. <laughs> right. So, in so, a, uh, I'll do the first one. Yeah, you did. Um, so, if this was a cortex game, like Jim's original um, example, if this was a cortex game, the arrival of the Cardinals' guards is a perfect GM intrusion. Right. As they are just about as the players are just about to sort everything out, you can be like, nope, put it, you know, put XP down on the table and be like, you hear the sounds of the Cardinals guards arrive and now they confront you. Yes. Right. Perfect GM intrusion kind of thing. Very fun. (laughs) Yeah. Um, If it is uh, if this was powered by the apocalypse, for example, um, this would be a hard move. Right. Because we've come to a lull in the action. Um, and slash, or maybe the characters in the scene are not entirely sure how to get out of it without either doing a duel or just being like, I don't know, like maybe we should like do something diplomatic, right? Like, so this is a moment where if there's a lull in the action as a GM, then I might be taking a hard move. Oh, let's push the story forward. The Cardinals guards show up. Yeah. And technically 
one could argue that the arrival of the guards is maybe a soft move. Sure. It is the foreshadowing. It is the foreshadowing of a harder move to come, which <laughs> sure. which is going to sure. arrive, right? Because yes. they are going to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some people, depending and depending if game, like mm. some people will argue whether that is a hard or soft move. But many PBTA games tell you when the players don't know what to do, take a move. So in our in our Three Musketeers PBTA game, um, you know, have the Cardinals guards arrive or have trouble arrive could easily be a move um, in our rule book. And the GM senses that this is a good moment for an external trouble to arrive. Yes. And yep. pushes that right in the way. Yep. All right. So if this is a Fader Cortex game, uh, we can we can one, we could look at the um, you know, we can look at the moment of where the Cardinals guards are like, you know, we have no quarrel with the boy, right? Because they say that we have no quarrel with the boy. Um, we're here to capture the Musketeers. If that is um, the player who's playing D'Artagnan, who clearly has an aspect like I want to become a Musketeer. Yes. Right. That <laughs> yeah, is a very compellable moment. Yes. Right. Because the the other the other Musketeers huddle up as they're talking about getting ready to fight the Cardinal's guard and D'Artagnan like sticks his head in and they keep pushing him out. (laughs) Right. And then, right. So (laughs) that is clearly the compel. Yes. Right. Um, That is definitely the moment where um, in fate, uh, D'Artagnan is getting a fate point because uh, that is foolish um, and is going to get him in trouble in cortex. This might be a case where uh, D'Artagnan might, uh, change his D8 distinction to a D4 distinction. Yeah. Right. As he heads into his first role for, you know, for this fight, because, you know, he foolishly agreed um, to jump into a fight that was clearly not his because those guys were musketeers. Yeah. And then in addition to that, think about the fight in the ruins um, as they're fighting. There are all sorts of um, distinctions and aspects that uh, about the ruins, like, uh, crumbly steps yeah 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 crumbly archways steps, high walls to, to fight high, exactly. along right like oh yeah um, and how those could be used right like yes there's a great moment um there's a great moment where um charlie sheen's character Ar- aramis i think right the um mm-hmm. the holy one um fights two guys in an archway yeah right and he clearly uses the archway like he creates an advantage to like basically split them um, yeah. and then get them to run each other through kind of yes. thing. Right. And and then you start thinking about like, um, sorry, I just, I got ahead of myself cause I got excited about this. <laughs> yeah, <makes> um, tears. <laughs> but I'm thinking like if I had, um, so for instance, if I was doing this in cortex, Porthos would have a resource yes. that was like bag of tricks. Yes. Right. Boy. Like maybe three, would he <laughs> right 3d6 bag of tricks you just have yep. to say what it is when you pull the dice pull right it so out. he has the bolo right yep. like yeah. <laughs> or, by the way yeah my youngins yeah. listening if you have not watched this movie like just it's, go watch this it movie. is such a good like action comedy like it's pg watch it with your big people your small people like I think it's probably PG thirteen because there's like that gory moment where the cage the thing comes down on the up. big dude. Oh. Um, but you know, yes, and and, and there's Tim also Curry. Oh, How? Oh, Tim Curry is such a fantastic villain, just like across the board. Uh, um, absolutely I, incredible. 
I'm ready to watch it again. I am too. <laughs> are we watching it sometime? What are you doing tomorrow? Okay. Uh, cool. Yeah. Moving we, we right along. Should we watch yeah. it? Yeah, move us along. Move us along. We'll never get cool. to the end. If we'll we never get to the end. This. We can we can talk about it more in the bamboo lounge if we want to. Um, cool. So the thing that we were gonna say about all of this is that um, it's fun to kind of have this thought experiment by yourself, and sometimes you might be just thinking about it, but it also is fun to have it as a group. Um, because then you are sitting there consuming some sort of media. It's easiest to do this, obviously, with like TV shows and movies um, and be able to say like, you know, oh, man, that's one of his aspects right there. Um, or that's his trouble or that was a compel right there. Or Whoa, look at that GM intrusion, um, whatever it happens to be um, in that particular moment for me. When I was watching um, Endgame, I was like, boy, the player who was playing Captain Marvel Boy, uh, it just went swords without master for me. I was like, she did not want to pick up those dice. She just sat there, like, like watching, just like looking, just like making the GM continue to come up with stuff for a long time. She was playing chicken. <laughs> so my my feeling for this is that the player who was playing Captain Marvel wasn't available. Oh, lol. For the first, yeah, like, yeah. Like that- they didn't. Ever, they like <laughs> they they came back from school or something, and were like, "Hey, what are you guys doing?" And the GM's like. Oh man, we are like in the middle of this massive like battle, <laughs> you know, with Thanos and stuff. And the character's like, "Cool, can I, you know, can I, can, can I, I play in? tonight?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the GM's like, "All right, well, what would be a cool way to bring, like, you Get know, you to in. bring your character in, right?" And just, yeah, <laughs> I like my way better because it just no, gives no, me. No, I'm with you. It gives me this vision of like just like that that because there's a tension that's generated in that specific play moment when the GM continues to like make it worse, make it worse, make it worse, make it worse. Yep. Right. Um, and that I feel like that describes a lot of how that particular scene was going <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I, I think um, it's, I think it's, I think it's a great example of the perilous um, scene from swords without masks. Yeah. So just good. Anyway. Um, cool. So, so it's fun to do this stuff as a group, I think was the key important moment. Yeah. I don't know how I got off onto Captain Marvel. And you, um, listen, you can, you can do it like you can do it a couple different ways. You could actually like have a night where you're watching a movie that you've all seen before and just, you know, yeah. are picking it apart. Live it could dead. happen spontaneously. Like while you're watching a show, you just say a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't even need the story in particular. If everybody's familiar with it, like you guys could be eating dinner pregame and just be like, Oh, you know, I was just thinking about, you know, the scene where this happened. And I think it fits like, you know, it would be just like this if we were playing it kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It happens in a whole bunch of places. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, have fun. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Lastly, why are we doing this? Right. What's the point? Um, But I think Jim already alluded to the point in Jim's Jim's message, but we're just going to reiterate it. This exercise is actually a good way to get GM practice away from the table. There is nothing that's going to substitute actually GMing, right? The best practice for GMing is to GM. How's yeah. that go from uh, Game Changers? Oh, the, the uh, only the way the to only, win the game is the only way to learn is by beginning. The only way to begin is by oh no. The only way to win is by learning. The only way to learn is by beginning. Uh, so let's begin. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no substitute for actually GMing. So you, you still got to go GM, but you don't have to be at a table to do this exercise. And that's actually probably its greatest advantage is that it allows us to kind of work on and workshop GMing skills when we are not playing a game. Cause sometimes scheduling holidays, 
work, whatever, we don't get time to game or we're in between, you know, we're waiting, you know, we're like the week between sessions or whatever. This exercise is an awesome way to actually practice, right? This little thought experiment is actually a great way to kind of just do a little gaming stuff when you're not able to be doing gaming stuff. Yeah. Um, and like you said, we don't need a group to do this. Hell, we don't even need the me- we don't even need the story or the media for it. We could do it mentally, but it's fun to do it. Um, and I like I watch a lot of TV like when I'm eating um, breakfast and dinner and stuff. And I'll just, you know, occasionally like poke at it and, you know, I'll laugh and be like, oh, that's somebody's trouble aspect. Mm-hmm. Right. Like. Yes. I don't do a deep dive on it, but like I'll pull things here and there or occasionally I'll see an episode or something and be like, oh, that was structured really smartly. Right. Yeah. And maybe go back and rewatch it and be like, let me go back and look at like why this thing worked so well. Yeah. Which you yeah. can just to be clear, because I'm going to wrap this in one more time, too, which you can do as a player also, especially if you are accustomed to playing collaborative games, because your moments you also have the ability to um, wrap in foreshadowing from earlier to do callbacks or to take the lead on a really cool direction. The story could go based on the structure of something that you saw before. Right. Yeah. I also, when I'm like making up characters, I will often pick like a, like a character from another story or something as kind of part of what I template my, my, my own portrayal of a character on. Yeah. And so watching their, like watching the stories that they're in yeah, and their performances actually helps me pull stuff out. Yeah. There is a very compelling character that I, at some point will make in a game um, that will parallel the uh, character, Jason Hayes from seal team, who is this uh, seal who's been a seal for 20 years. And he is um, getting to the end of his, um, operating days and his body is taking the toll for it. And I think it would be a really fascinating dungeon world character or something like that. Somebody who like really should retire from adventuring, but can't because they don't know what else to do. Yep. Um, But also they really can't keep adventuring. Yeah. Like it, like it's getting like they're starting to break down. That sounds like a turning point dilemma to me. Also a good turning point dilemma. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I think when we uh, quote our own product in the show, <laughs> it's probably time for us to, to, to wrap up and get out of here. Um, uh, I think we've made our point um, about why you should do this. It's fun to do. My guess is most of you are already doing it, um, but here's a reason like why it's cool to do it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and hey... Hit us up on Twitter if um, there's any specific things you do with it um, that we didn't talk about. Because I think this covered all the ways that I do it and that you do it, right? Yeah. So if anybody else has any other like specific things that you're like, oh, and I also do X, Y, Z or whatever, um, we want to hear about it. Let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah, so cool. And and then the other takeaway is go watch Disney Three Musketeers. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, though. <laughs> Just seriously. Also also do that. Like that, that also is the thing you should do. Cool. All right. Since since we've now recapped, send it. um, Tell us about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network, and then we'll close this guy out and head for the Bamboo Lounge. Yes. So um, you could also be listening to Bonus Experience with Ray and Monica, who are two old friends exploring gameplay and design through the lens of diversity, while also sharing some of the dumbest humor that gaming has to offer and comparing sparkling waters. Which mm-hmm. is important. Yes, spindrift doing, for the win. Doing the the good work here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Say, Senda, where do people find us on the internet? Well, you can find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games. You can find us. Uh, uh, where else can you find us? Um, at the Misdirected Mark forums, which is forums.misdirectedmark.com. You can drop us an email, which is panda at misdirectedmark.com. You can find us via, via our individual usernames from all over the place on the Tiki Talkies because there is not a podcast account on the Tiki Talkies because then I would have to maintain said account, which I refuse to do. So if you want to find us on TikTok, you can find us at Idella Mifland and at DNA Phil. And Phil, once they find us in one of those places, stalk us down, uh, what can they do with that information? Yeah, send us your questions, ideas, thoughts, whatever it is you would like to hear us talk about in terms of technique and advice and all of those things. Our job here, the reason we're on the air, is to help make GMing um, and playing more enjoyable for you. Uh, the more you GM, the more you will run sessions, the more different games you will play, the more experiences you will have with your players, and the longer you will persist in this hobby. And that is what we are here for. Um, I am clocking my 40th year in the hobby, um, and I show no signs of stopping and um, love it. And I want you to love it. And so if there's a part of GMing that's like, oh, I like everything about this except this thing. Tell us about it. Let's see what we can come up with and see if we can't come up with a couple of ideas to make it a little better or show you what's going on so you have a better grasp of how to handle it or whatever. That's what we're here for. If you like what we do here, elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, consider supporting our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. Patrons get access to our Slack Room for Life, which includes many, many great rooms, many, many great people, and our Friday luncheon. Uh, you get access to the after show from Misdirected Mark and... If you're a fan of this show, get access to the Bamboo Lounge, which is kind of our after show uh, where we kind of um, cool down after a show and chit chat and talk about stuff, sometimes useful, sometimes ridiculous. We thank you for your patronage. It is what keeps the lights on. And that is um, a thing that we need, right? Hosting, bandwidth, lights. all that stuff. Yeah. So. <laughs> Cameras, so thank you. Action microphones. <laughs> exactly. So thank you very much for all of your patronage. Uh, if you are a patron, thank you again. If you are unable to patron the show, we understand there is a thing you can do. It is uh, it uses a little bit of your time, so we're not going to say it doesn't cost something. It costs some of your time, and we know your time's valuable. But there's a little thing you could do that helps us out greatly. Senda, what is that thing? You could leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. Um, reviews that we get there actually help us in the algorithm way. But the other thing that you can do is you can just tell somebody, which is like really, really cool. Um, especially um, when we see it, it makes us also feel super warm and fuzzy inside. Um, you know, when somebody says, what's your favorite podcast? If you like us and you feel inclined, uh, you know, let us drop and drop our name in there we really really appreciate it um you know a lot of folks have found us that way and uh, we're super excited to have you here indeed indeed say senda what movie would you like to watch next that we could pick apart as uh game stuff oh no um the labyrinth <laughs> This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Show me what you got, hey, show me what you got, show me what you got, hey, show me what you got, show me what you got.
Show me what you got, eh? Show me what you got. Show me what you got. Hello. Oh, like mid yawn as I was saying clicky. Seriously, Sorry. I only slept less than you did. Oh. It's true, you did sleep less than me. I had to get up with my kiddos in the morning and get them off to work and stuff like that. Anyway. To work? No, Dante had Dante was teaching the oh. Tigers class this morning. Yeah. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Bloop. Do 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 do